Just a couple of announcements before we uh, begin our sermon time here today. I just wanted to remind us of a REACH meeting that we have. I had to write that down before I forget it, but uh, you'll see that in your bulletins. Um, we have this REACH time that we have coming up. Um, also something you'll see in your bulletin talking about some pennies for the poor. We're, we're wanting to, uh, to try to see if we can change the world, uh, change our lives or change our community or change, uh, make some change or, or be a, a, a change for good. Um, by using our change. Um, but um, if you uh, would keep in mind that, um, but that announcement also in your bulletin. And, and then uh, pretty soon uh, we'll be having our spring clothing giveaway. And right now we are accepting those clothes. If you have some, some good, uh, well, um, well um, taken care of, uh, how do we say that? How do, somebody help me. How do we? Gently used, that's the word, okay. So gently used clothing that you can donate it that uh, would be for our spring giveaway. And um, if you have some of that, we're, we're accepting that right now. Um, I do want kinda to to kind of get you uh, focused on a couple of things. This uh, in terms of uh, Easter is not that far away. This year, April 1st, um, it's uh, um, coming up awful quick and just want to remind you of a couple of things. There is a sign, I, if there's not a sign-up sheet, there should be or will be. Well, I know that there will be, but uh, Susan and I want to, uh, on Good Friday, um, want to invite all of you to a meal here on us. Um, um, in the past several years, we've, we've cooked ribs and uh, we want to invite you to a, a wonderful Good Friday meal. And you are, you're welcome to come to that. But we also, at the same time, the reason why I mentioned it is, is that we need you to sign up so that we know how many ribs to, to, to cook. And we're, we're inviting you, uh, our, all our family here at New Life, to be a part of that meal. So we want to be able to serve uh, you and to share our love for you by doing that. So um, that's coming up. But please sign up or let us know or call us or so that you can say, yeah, I'm in on that. Um, and and uh, if you don't, get a chance to uh, to be there. Um, Irvin has promised that he will eat your portion. <laughs> so um, I think that, uh, so he's he's provided, that's part of his ministry here. He wants to help out in any way he can. So um, somebody's got to do it. So um, so anyway, we appreciate that. Uh, just uh, look at some other, other things that might be happening in there. Um, we got a potato-tastic meal next week? Is that next week? Woo! That's coming up. Um, I knew that. I looked at that, but I wasn't. I guess I didn't look at the date of March 18th. So um, I was thinking it was we had more time. <coughs> Things go so quickly. So keep keep those in mind and um, um, just uh, let us know uh, of some of that, or if there's any ways that you can help out. I I didn't mention this. There may be some things too over on the board over here. We have some some uh, opportunities for you just to kind of take down a, a, a tag and say and to fill one of the requests that. We have some supplies that we need and some ministries that we need, and that's up on the board there. And and you can um, you can take a look at that and and grab something that would be a great help if you can if you can do that. So we have been in this series uh, for the past several weeks. By the way, open to if you would your, in your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 37. But we've actually been in this series for the past several weeks, and we've uh, I guess this is the fourth week we've been looking at this story, God's story, and. Uh, a little bit different than what we did as, uh, a few years back. We went through the story. It's the same story, though. I, d I don't want you to get confused on that. But, 
But I think this time that we're going through, we're, we're kind of organizing a little bit differently, and we're trying to really look at what God is trying to say, and, there's a, and to look through Scripture and see the thread all the way through of, of, of God's imprint and what He's actually trying to accomplish. And, um, but anyway, this uh, story is really simple. It really is. And uh, God, uh, we understand it to be that God created the universe, that, that the universe was good, and, and man messed it up, and then God started from that point on. He started this process of redemption. And what we saw, I think, uh, what we saw last week when we got to Genesis chapter 12 is that there was this dramatic shift in the story in the fact that as God began that process of redemption, that his story began to focus it, came, it kept narrowing and narrowing and narrowing through the first, uh, you know, four, chapters 4 through 11. It kept narrowing down to one specific family, and that is the family of Abraham. And that story occupies the rest of the Old Testament. Abraham's story and his offspring, it, re- it occupies the rest of the Old Testament all the way up through, through the, uh, uh, the coming of Jesus Christ until we get to Jesus in the New Testament. And what, what is so fascinating, though, as you walk through this story is, that, is how God has to... We've already seen it a couple different times in, in some of the characters. We've seen how God has to come back. He has to intervene in the story and keep that story going. And one of the things to keep in mind, I think, as you think about the story is that God never fails to keep his promises. Say amen. God never fails to keep his promises. And he will do whatever it takes to make sure that his covenant will get worked out. But God started this process of redemption. Redemption came through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob. And uh, we ended with Jacob last week. We kind of wore you out, kind of racing through those first 37 chapters. <laughs> and, uh, um, but anyway, last week the story of Jacob ended with Jacob and his family in Bethel, and which that is in the land of Canaan. And I want us to remind, just to, to kind of bring us up to that because that really is the promise. Remember Abraham, he looked out over this land, and here's, here's the land of Canaan, and God says, this is going to be your descendants' land. And then he goes back and forth to Egypt, comes back, it ends with Jacob there. This is going to be their land. They're, they still have uh, some, it's, it's not going to happen quite yet, but it's not really their land. They're going to come back to Canaan. But there's a lot of prosperity that really goes off, that goes on in, 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 in Jacob's life. He produces 12 sons, and that really becomes an extremely important part of the story later because those are the 12 tribes of Israel through whom God carries out this great promise. But there's just one real brief little thing that we need to think about here because we're about to turn the story, I think, into even slower motion because we've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and it just kind of, we kind of, the focus begins to shift a little bit. There's, there's, uh, we're going to focus it... Uh, from the nations that, that Abraham is producing, but now we're going to come down to just one son, son, and that is Joseph. We're going to come down to Joseph, and except that's really odd. Remember, I asked you the question to think about this week, but it's odd because Joseph is not the primary character in the lineage of Jesus. In fact, he is very secondary. It's Judah who is the key son. Judah is son number four. He was the uh, Jacob's uh, uh, son through uh, his wife, um, 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 oh, Leah. 
He's Leah's son. Jacob is, is son number four. But that's not where the story goes. It doesn't follow Judah. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and it doesn't follow Judah. It jumps to Joseph, this, this ins, uh, I wouldn't say he's insignificant, but it's a, this son that, that really is not the, the main character, or is not the, uh, the main lineage of, of Jesus. He's not the primary character in that. And there's only one chapter actually devoted to Judah at all in the rest of, the, uh, of Genesis, which is really rather strange. And so we're going to leave Judah for a while here, and we're going to come to the son who is the favorite son, the son of Joseph, and, and see how he fits into this rather interesting story. Joseph really takes up a lot of real estate in the Old Testament in, in the book of Genesis. Did, did, have anybody ever noticed that? Uh, he starts in... in um, he, he uh, starts in Genesis chapter 37, and then he goes all the way to the end of this book. And, and Joseph, uh, in Genesis chapter 37, he's a teenager. He's growing up in a pretty dysfunctional home. I think that that is probably a big understatement. But, but here's what we find. We find that he is his father's favorite son. He's got ten older brothers, but his father, Jacob, loves Joseph the most. And so... Joseph gives, uh, or, or, or Jacob gives Joseph this, this ornate coat that you and I maybe know as the coat of many colors. I don't know if that's ac accurate or not, but it's a special coat. We know that. Whether it had a bunch of colors or not, that's, that's uh, been debated for, for some time. But, it, but this is not just a, a coat, though. This is, um, this is well, J Jacob, by giving Joseph this coat, Jacob is saying to his brothers, this son is my favorite. He's saying, I love this son the most. He's saying, this son is going to be the main inheritor of my estate. This son, because he's wearing this coat, he's not going to be doing a lot of work in the fields like you guys. <coughs> You're going to have to be doing all the manual later, labor. That's really up to, to you uh, older boys. And so his father gives him this coat. But I want you to listen. Genesis chapter 37, verse 4. Look at what it says. It says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. This is a dysfunctional home. Instead of a house filled with love, this is a house that's filled with hate. It's a home where no one seemed capable of, of, of sharing any kind of a, a kind word to one another. And it's just this dysfunctional family. And Joseph, he doesn't help matters much. He has this dream as a teenager of all of his brothers bowing down to him. Not something that you need to share out loud at a breakfast table, right? <laughs> and yet Joseph, he has this dream and he's like, well, guess what, guys? Guess Guess what I dreamed about last night? And his brothers grew to hate him even more. And one day, his father Jacob sends Joseph out into the fields where his other brothers are working and sweating, and they're tired, and they're hungry. And Joseph comes strolling out in the coat of many colors, and they see him coming, and here's what they say to each other. Look at verse 19, Genesis 37, verse 19. It says, Here comes that dreamer. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Let's, let's kill him. One of the older brothers, Judah, one of Leah's boys, he speaks up in verse 26. This is Judah. Judah said to his brothers, What 
will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery and let's get some money for him. And, 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 and so that's what they do. And they sell him into slavery. And, and at the age of 17, he is taken to this foreign land of Egypt. And he's sold as a slave to Potiphar or to Pharaoh's officials, a man by, by the name of Potiphar. And he is the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard. And the brothers cover up what they have done by taking this coat of many, uh, many colors and they, they, they kill a goat and they drip the blood all over. They dip the coat in the goat's blood, showing it then to their father. And when Jacob sees it, he just assumes that his son has been killed and he grieves and it breaks him. But all the while, Joseph is back in Egypt and he's serving as a slave in Potiphar's uh, in Potiphar, in, under Potiphar's care, but Potiphar sees something in Joseph. This young man has some very rare leadership gifts, and it doesn't take long for Potiphar to put Joseph in charge of this whole business. In fact, in fact, the Bible says that with Joseph in charge, Potiphar doesn't concern himself with anything. He gives Joseph the keys and he takes an early retirement. And so even though he's, he's a, a, a slave, he's kind of worked himself up as much as a slave can, and then the story takes on this different twist. And here's where, what we read. That Potiphar's wife, who would have been likely, she would have likely been a very beautiful Egyptian woman. Because Potiphar is in this He's in, in, in his position in Pharaoh's cabinet. I mean, made him pretty important. But his wife becomes infatuated with Joseph. And the Bible tells us that Joseph was well-built. He was very handsome. And so she makes him her pursuit. And, 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 and the story really gets quite graphic. I mean, uh, this, uh, she says to him, you know, come to bed with me. And that's really, that's really the PG uh, translation to that, you know, Prentagayans uh, suggested the Hebrew of this wouldn't even get a PG-13 rating. It was very crass. But I want you to listen to the voice of Joseph here. Look at chapter 39, Joseph, uh, Genesis 39, look at verse 8. Joseph refuses and he says, my master does not concern himself with anything in, my in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Do you notice that God hasn't shown up in that conversation yet? He says, my master trusts me. My master trusts me. I can't do anything that would, that would go against my master. But when it comes right down to the bottom line for making his decision about how to be a moral young man, he says, I could not sin against, not my master, I could not sin against God. Because he knew where his ultimate allegiance was. I just want a little brief aside. I think, see, I think that that's where morality finds its strength. See, we don't not sin because we might hurt our neighbor's feelings. We don't not sin because we might hurt our, our wife's feelings or our spouse's feelings. 
That may be true, but our ultimate decision about life is what honors God and what keeps us from sinning against Him. Well, one day Potiphar's wife takes things to another level. Once again, she says, come to bed with me. And this time she grabs his coat and she pulls and he slips out of it and he runs away. She's uh, left there with his coat and she cries rape and security comes in. She has his coat. Potiphar then has Joseph thrown in prison. But here's what's really interesting about this, though. Um, Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard. Bodyguard literally would be translated executioner. So her husband, Potiphar, was the chief executioner for Pharaoh. One of his favorite ways to execute people back then would have been to bury them alive. He was not a person who would have just thrown a slave in prison, except for what we can safely presume is that he trusted Joseph more than he trusted his wife. Joseph is thrown into prison. Potiphar saves face, and he spends the next 10 years in prison. But I think there's something I want you to notice. It's also found in chapter 20, uh, 39. This is when Joseph is a slave, and in verse number 2, we simply read this. The Lord was with her, Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And if you look down towards the end of the chapter, verse number 23, Joseph is in prison now, uh, he's no longer in, in, in a slave, but he's now been thrown into prison. And this time, what does it say? Well, it says exactly the same thing as, as it did when he was a slave. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. It doesn't seem like it, but he's there. God is with Joseph. The warden soon sees in Joseph what Potiphar saw, and so the warden puts Joseph in charge of this entire prison, and there are two prisoners that are under Joseph's care. Uh, one is this cupbearer to Pharaoh. He's the kind of fellow, he had to taste the wine so that the king, to make sure that it was not poisonous. Uh, so uh, in that, I, how many of you guys want that job? The other was the baker, a cupbearer and a baker. They each have some, some of these real explicit dreams. And they're more than dreams. They mean something, and they know it. And, and so they start sharing their dreams. Joseph is given the interpretation of those dreams by God, and he, he shares the interpretation of those dreams to the cupbearer and to the baker, and they both, up, both end up turning out exactly how Joseph said they would. And you read the story and you think, well, okay, well, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, but, but, but here's, here's what happens. Uh, a couple years later, the cupbearer is out of prison. He's now the cupbearer for Pharaoh and the most powerful man in the world. And, and Pharaoh wakes up one morning. He has this dream, this really disturbing dream, uh, you know, about seven scrawny cows and seven fat cows. And he has another one about, uh, about uh, seven uh, fat heads of grain and seven scrawny heads of grain. And, and nobody just, they don't know how to interpret those dreams and, until the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And so he says to Pharaoh, hey, you, you know what? Uh, when I was in prison, there was this guy. I mean, what was it? Um, Joseph, that was his name. His name was Joseph. Yeah, that's it. And somehow he just knew. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph in, and he, and he tells Joseph, I mean, the most powerful man in the world is telling this slave his dream. 
And the Bible tells us that God gives Joseph the interpretation of that dream. And, and Pharaoh knows this is from God. And, and here's what we read in chapter 41. Look at verse 38. Here's what the Pharaoh says to his counselors. He said, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. The second most powerful man in the world. I mean, how does that happen? Um, it's because God's writing the story, right? We saw it last week, right? God wants to populate a nation, so what does he do? He says, well, I think I'll get this, uh, um, this uh, let's go with this elderly, infertile couple, Abraham and Sarah. Now the time has come for God to rescue his people because there's a famine coming, and he needs one of his people in a position of power, in a position of authority. Who does he choose? He chooses this former slave ex-con Joseph at 30 years old. And so God uses Joseph to execute this plan that saves millions of people from this severe famine. It's a, a seven-year famine. It doesn't just affect all of Egypt, right? It also spreads out into the outer regions. Eventually it affects Canaan, the home place of Joseph. And guess who can't find enough to eat? Joseph's family. Jacob's family, they, they, have, they, they have money, right? They have resources, but there's no food. There's no grain to buy. And so Joseph's father, Jacob, sends Joseph's older brothers, the ten older brothers, to the land of Egypt to try and get some grain because they have heard that Egypt has stockpiled grain and has food for this famine. And so all of his brothers, they come on the scene. Twenty-two years have passed since they sold Jacob, or since they sold Joseph into slavery. Joseph was 17 then, he's 39 years old now, and they don't recognize him. And so here's what happens. His brothers find themselves in front of Joseph, they find him in front of this deputy sheriff, or deputy, deputy pharaoh, and, and, and guess what they do? You know the story, right? They bow down to him. And Joseph, we're going to jump ahead this story here, but Joseph puts his brothers through a few tests to make sure that they, they, that they have really changed and, and see if they're sorry for what they did. He sees that they're now compassionate towards his father. And, and he just gets to the point where he just can't hold it any longer. And finally, Joseph reveals himself to them. And they have this great, great grand reunion. And they, they go back and they get their, their father, Jacob, and they bring everybody down into Egypt where they settle into the land of Goshen. Goshen. Now, I know that I just said that really, really fast. I know that we kind of moved that story along, but I, but, but I want you to notice just two or three verses in this. And I want to start with Genesis chapter 45 and take a look at this because there's some things that occur here that I think remind us of the power of what God is doing in the process that he has of keeping his covenant. Look at Genesis chapter 45. Look at verse number 5. I love this one. And now he says... This is where J Joseph makes himself known. And now he says, do not be, he's saying, talking to his brothers, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
Look at verse 7. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Do you hear that? Do you hear that, first of all, Joseph's, do you hear his absolute confidence in what God is doing in his life? Even when this guy has been spending most of his time in prison, even when nothing seems to make sense, Joseph has absolute confidence in God. Secondly, do you notice how this comes back to that basic statement that God will always keep his promise? He will keep his covenant no matter what? You go over to chapter 50, Genesis chapter 50. This is the end of the book. And you look at verse number 20. Again, this is Joseph speaking. This is after Jacob has died. He's, his father has died. And, and now the boys are afraid that now that their dad is dead, I mean, what do you think? I, I'd love to, I'd give anything to, to see the expression on their face. Dad dies and it's like, uh-oh. That's what our kids said this morning in, in science school. I was talking to them about this. And they, I said, what do you think they felt? And they went, uh-oh. Yeah, I mean, but, but here's what he says. In, in Joseph, you know, they're afraid that he won't be kind to them. But verse number 20 of chapter 50, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Verse 24, Then Joseph said to his brothers, this is um, in, in those verses, now he's ready to die. But then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the story ends on that future look to when Israel is going to get back to Canaan. Remember, that's part of the promise. And so we walk through this story, and here's what it sounds like. Here's the abbreviated version. God, in the beginning, God created the universe. He created man. Man fell apart. God started this process of redemption. Redemption came through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but then they end up in Egypt for 430 years. And the reason that this story shifts from Judah to Joseph is to prepare us for the book of Exodus because Exodus becomes the main story. The Exodus becomes God's story of redemption. How does God redeem his people? How does he do that? Well, we'll get there here coming up here in the next week. But here's the question. How in the world do we learn, what, what in the world do we learn looking at the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph? What do we learn? Well, I, I think we learn at least this, that God will do anything to protect his covenant. Absolutely anything. We learned that part last week. God will do whatever it is to take, uh, to, to keep his promises. And so that includes that if he has to curse Pharaoh in order to get Sarai out of his household. Remember, we talked about that last week. That includes uh, uh, if he has to miraculously bring children to those who have been otherwise barren. He will do that. Um, it, it, it includes if he has to take Joseph down into Egypt as a slave in order to keep the, his family alive during this, this famine. He will do whatever it takes to keep his promises. We learned this last week. Trust is an extremely difficult discipline. When God doesn't make sense, it's hard for us to keep trusting. And when God has made promises like, I'm going to make you into a great nation, but, but you can't have any children, it, it really gets tough to be able to trust Him. But I want you to listen to some of the language of the New Testament. Hebrews, if you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter 11 is that chapter, I think, that 
that wraps up all of Old Testament history up under this one idea, the idea of faith. But I want you to listen to how often that occurs in this text. Verse number 8, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Verse number 9, By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, as did Isaac his, and, and Jacob, who were heirs with him of that same promise. Verse 11, By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, he was enabled, uh, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. Verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Verse 20, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to the future. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. In order for you and I to trust when God doesn't make sense, it takes faith. Absolute confidence that God will keep his promises and he will do, always do what he says. I think the other thing that we learned from this is that, it, and it really has nothing to do with, is the fact that it really has nothing to do with lineage or land. I, I think that's what we, we, we tend to think as we read through the story. We, there's such a concentration on lineage and land. I'm just here to tell you that it has nothing to do with that. Even though there was a great deal of emphasis upon the fact that they were going to inherit the land, and even though it has a lot to do with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and down through the lineage we go, and we read that over and over and over, and that in fact shows up, though, in, in, in the New Testament, the birth lineages of Jesus. The real issue, though, shows up in Galatians chapter 3, and I invite you to turn over to that. It's a rather strange passage of Scripture about the law, it's a strange passage about the promise that we have here. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, that the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Don't miss this. See, when Paul looks back on that experience of Abraham, when he looks back on what Isaac went, the experience of Isaac and Jacob and the nations and the lands and the children's as numerous as the star of the sky, he says, that's not the point. That is not the point. That was to bring us to one person, the seed of Abraham. Look at verse 26. Galatians 3, 26. You are all sons of, this is speaking of, uh, of us, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed. You might want to underline that in your Bibles. You are his seed, you are his are heirs according to the promise. Everything in Genesis <coughs> is to come from creation to one fundamental place. We are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, we have that same option. Everyone has that same option of believing God and having it counted as righteousness. 
in Jesus' day, the problem was that the Jews thought that, that it was only that you had to be a son of Abraham in order to get that blessing. So they believed that if you weren't Jews, Jewish, then you had no hope. And Jesus came along and said, you know what, this isn't about lineage, this is about me. This is about a relationship with me. And the same promise, we know this, the same promise is true for you, it's true for me, it's true for everyone, that you and I can be heirs of the promise of God, not because we were born into a certain tribe. Not because we lived in a certain place. but because we are related to the right person, the person of Jesus. Everything in this story, make no mistake about it, points us in one direction, that we ought to know Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this story and just being able to look at it and see it maybe even from a different set of eyes. I think it's, it's so easy for us as, uh, as we read the Bible to get focused on that coat of many colors because it's so colorful and it's shiny and it's bright and it's I think sometimes that happens in our world. We get so focused on the bright and flashy things that we miss the big picture. And God, I just pray that we don't miss the big picture today. That we really see the intention of the story. It's not about a flashy coat. It's about how God is accomplishing His covenant, uh, keeping His promises and, and, and allowing His covenant to go forward and, and, and using that in such a way that, that is so incredible. Using people who are faithful and and even using broken vessels. It's all about you. You want redemption. So we thank you for that story. And thank you for reminding us that, that ultimately our, our, our only hope is truly in you. <coughs> and God, I just pray that that we will sense that, that we will feel that, that we will live that this week as we leave this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.